uh, set the context for you. Man, that thing is heavy. How did you do that? Uh, I, too, am glad that you're here today. And if you're uh, a guest among us or a, a visitor, I'll just set the context. And then we're going to stand in a moment. And uh, we're not going to read Scripture per se. Now, Scripture is important. This message today will be from the Scriptures. And let me give a parenthesis and a plug in your worship guide. You have a Bible reading plan. I, I hope that you'll use that or at least get something for yourself that you have so that you are in the Word of God on a regular basis. Now, we have been doing uh, for the past several weeks, uh, beginning a series on the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed, one of the oldest creeds uh, of all, is simply a summary statement of concise biblical points that have to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, you see that uh, you have in your worship guide today the Apostles' Creed. I've given you several different versions of it. Today we're going to go back. I know technically it's not the King James Version, but in a sense it is because it uses some of the old language. Now, before we stand to read this together, let me say a couple of things that might help you if you are not used to saying creeds or the Apostle Creed. The first thing is this, and this is really a simple review. Everyone in this place has a creed. Creed simply comes from the Latin to believe. Everyone believes something. So if you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, that is your creed. If you say, I don't believe in Jesus Christ, that too is your creed. Second thing, as we read through this, please don't get hung up on certain words, words such as he descended into hell. We're going to unpack that. So if you would like to come a little bit later on as we talk about what that means, what are some of the nuances of that, so don't get hung up on that. Don't get hung up on the quick and the dead. Quick just is an old word that means the living as well as the dead. And certainly when we come to the portion that says that you believe in the Holy Catholic Church, look at that please, because that is small c. It simply means the church of Jesus Christ throughout the ages, universal, that will last into eternity. We're not talking about Catholic Church in terms of the denomination. Okay, have you got it? With those disclaimers, let's stand together and say, and I remind you, Again, as we say this, this is one of the most radically affirming statements that you can make of the main points of the Bible that we believe. At the same time, it is one of the most radically countercultural statements that you can make. When you say, I believe these things, you are running against the current culture in which we live. And I will remind you that the biggest portion of this, and you will see this, the, the Trinitarian formula 
The biggest portion is devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, say this with me, either looking at the screens or looking at your worship guide this morning. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Father, we thank you that you have given us truth in your word. Help us to unpack every word that is essential for us to know of this great Christ in whom we believe even today. And I pray that if there is anyone here, whether a member of this church or grew up in this church or visiting today, who has never taken that step to say, I believe that this morning you would do a work as only you can do. You would take your word, reveal Jesus in his humanity and his deity, to all of us here so that we might not only be encouraged, some might be saved even today, and we might grow more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. I pray this in his name. Amen. Let's look at the outline. The outline is simply the outline of the, the scripture that we have before us today, and it's basically broken down into four different parts. We're going to look at each one of those. I believe in Jesus. Now, if you're taking notes, you may want to write out right beside that when it says there in your notes, I believe in Jesus. Just write the word humanity. The word humanity. And just for a moment, I want to... you you to consider with me that this may sound so simple, but it is vitally important. That we begin by confessing first the earthly identity of Jesus Christ. We believe in a man named Jesus. Now, We'll talk about his last name more in just a few moments. It could have been Bar-Joseph. It could have been of Nazareth. But this was a real man named Jesus. We believe in that man who was a real historical person. I say that, and, and you need to let that soak in because there are those today who really, in spite of all of the evidence that we have, do not believe in Jesus as a real man, as a historical person. This man Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We'll hear all about it during this season of the year. He grew up in Nazareth. He was 
let me add this, he still is a real man. And he was not and is not a mythical figure like Hercules or Zeus or Thor or the Incredible Hulk. Now, now do you understand that there's a difference? I was thinking about this this week and about some of these mythical people and we're living in an age of the Avengers and so sometimes I, I hope most people know that these are fictional characters that they're really not real but I remembered that years years ago in fact I looked it up this would have been about in 1980 and there, there are all kinds of movies out today but there is a movie about Fred Rogers that is out today anybody remember Fred Rogers did you grow up on Fred Rogers Mr. Rogers neighborhood well my kids did at least in part in the early years I, I'll never forget when my son Jason he was sitting down here on the front row he's back there now when he was three years old in 1980 there was a show on TV entitled The Incredible Hulk. And Lou Ferrigno played that part. And it, it, it was so important. In fact, there was such a stir, not about adults, but about young children. I, I'm going somewhere with this, folks. Let me just tell you, and I'll put it like this so that you will know exactly what I'm saying without spoiling anything for anyone, please be honest with your children about the difference between the real and the mythical because it's confusing. And when these young children saw David Banner, Bruce Banner, is it David or Bruce? Thank you. I think it used to be David. Anyway, I'll go with Bruce. transformed into the Incredible Hulk. This was incredibly upsetting to these kids. So Mr. Rogers had a week-long program about the difference between real and make-believe. I was a youth pastor in Plano, Texas. I know you've heard my bad joke about that. I was a Plano youth pastor. Jason was just a young guy, but I came home every afternoon and we turned on Fred Rogers to watch how he went to that set and watched the, the, the transformation and how they made believe and how all of that. Now, folks, if it's important for Fred Rogers to tell a nation of children that certain people are real and certain people are fictional, isn't it important for the church of Jesus Christ to do the same? Jesus was a real person. He was a real human. By the way, Jesus was not a random name. They, they didn't have baby name books back then. Do you know what I'm talking about? They didn't have those back then. 
But Jesus was named specifically. They were told by the angels, and by the way, it was God that told the angels to tell them, they were told specifically what his name would be. His name would be Jesus. Matthew 1, 21, Luke 1, 32 through 31. You shall call his name Jesus. Now, just so you'll know, and probably a lot of you do, that came from the Old Testament name, Yeshua. That means God saves. Why is it important? Here's a creed. We just said the creed. Why is it important for you and for me to understand and to affirm that Jesus was fully human? I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that one of the reasons we study the creed is that it helps us combat error. And all through the history of the church, there have been errors usually that will attack the humanity of Jesus Christ, or even more, we'll get to this in just a second, that will attack the deity of Jesus Christ. It is important that you believe Jesus was 100% man. Because if he wasn't, he couldn't die for our sins. He couldn't be a mediator. Hebrews says it like this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Now watch this, and especially if you are not from a Christian background, you need to understand this, but one who was tempted in all respects as we are yet, he did not sin. It had to be a perfect man who had never sinned, who had always obeyed the law of God for us so that he could die in our place as the perfect sacrifice, the lamb unblemished, spotless from the foundation of the world. It's important, and I'll just continue this thought, because only a man, a 100% man, who had lived like that could be the perfect mediator for us. Paul says it like this in 1 Timothy, For there is one God, and there is one mediator also between God and men. Who is it? The man, Christ Jesus. I believe in Jesus, 100% fully human. Let's go to the second phrase. It says, I believe in Jesus Christ. Now, outside that word, if you're going to take notes and, and get the, the thrust of what we're talking about, instead of writing the word like you did about outside of Jesus, humanity, now write the word Savior. Th this is a rich word. Jesus, the man is also the Christ. Now, I alluded to this a minute ago, and so let me just let you in on a secret that a lot of people don't get out there. Christ is not his last name. If you were to Google today, it wouldn't be Christ, comma, Jesus. That's not his last name. As I said a moment ago, it would be Bar-Joseph, the son of Joseph, or it would be Jesus of Nazareth, and he was called that on occasion. Jesus the Christ was a title given to him 
by His heavenly Father. Christ, that's the English for Christos, the Greek word for Messiah, which in the Old Testament meant anointed one, or Messiah, or Savior. And in the Old Testament, God anointed and set apart prophets and priests and kings to mark them and to set them apart for His service. So so Jesus, the God-man, was appointed and anointed by God to be the Davidic King. Jesus alone was the long-awaited Messiah. You know, isn't it interesting that we study this at this time of year, but when we, when we recite and say we believe in the Apostles' Creed, we're doing the message that we do at Christmas and Easter and all through the year in this one simple statement. Let's go back to Isaiah. And it's echoed in chapter 3 of Malachi. But it's alluded to in Mark that they go back to Isaiah. So let's look at this. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now there are two things in that statement. Lord, and when you see the all caps, what is that word? From those of you who have been, I hope you remember in the first several sermons. What, what? I think I heard it. Yahweh. Good. That is the covenant name of God. And then he's also called God. Now, in the wilderness, someone is going to prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord is going to come, according to Isaiah. Malachi says the same thing. And we come to the Gospel of Mark, verses 1 through 8. This is not the whole thing. But listen to this. We find the fulfillment of the promise of the long-awaited Messiah. And you know, I just, I think sometimes, how did the Jews miss it? They were blind. I guess I could ask the same question, maybe of some people in this audience today. How could you miss it? When it is so plain, so clear from Scripture, the beginning of the good news, the gospel of Jesus. What does that mean? Fully God. Christ. What does that mean? Savior, the anointed one, the Son of God. We'll get to that in just a second. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Who will prepare your way? Who was the messenger? John the Baptist. Now it says, God is coming. I'm going to prepare your way. This is obviously speaking of Yahweh or God. But in the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, to whom does it refer? Come on, this is interactive preaching. To whom does that refer? It refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was fulfilled in him. Calling him Jesus Christ is unmistakably emphasizing that he alone is the Savior. And that's why I go back to this. Everybody has a creed, folks. Everybody has a creed. Somebody might come up to you. This is why this is so important as 
an apologetic, at least for you, so that you'll know. Somebody says something about Jesus Christ, and you might just inform that person that they made a profound theological statement. You just used the name of Jesus, a historical figure who was proclaimed by God to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Then you might just throw in, if you want to do a little apostolic preaching, yes, students, even you can do some apostolic preaching if you throw in this incredible statement that Peter said, there is salvation in no one else. No other religion, no other religious figure, no life coach, anything like that. There's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So we believe in Jesus, his humanity, 100% man. We believe in the Christ, 100% God. And we get to that next statement. Let's look at it in the outline. His only Son, that is God's only Son. And just right outside of that, put the word deity. D-I-T-Y. D-E-I-T-Y. Deity. He is God come in human flesh. Now, the word Son of God. If you go back and you study any about that term, you will know that, especially in the Old Testament, Son of God was used sometimes by God to refer to kings, for example, like Solomon. And he was called a son of God. But this is different. This is his only son. Let's add another word to that that's found in John 3.16, his only begotten son. This is not just a special human relationship. This is the reality that Jesus Christ was and is the eternal Word of God come in human flesh as God's only begotten Son. And as such, He is, I, I, this, this falls short, He is utterly unique. In the beginning was the Word. This is the eternal Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then down in verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is God the Son. Now, here's what that means for us. Jesus the Messiah did not come into existence when he was conceived by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and he was born of the Virgin Mary. He had an eternal existence as the Son of God. I mentioned to you a minute ago, and you can see it as you look at the outline, that this is the, the Trinitarian formula that we have talked about. The hallmark of the gospel is that God sent his Son. The one who was with him from eternity past and existed in an et in eternal sonship. So that saying that Jesus is the Son of God amounts to saying that Jesus is God. Now let me show you two, I think, wonderful examples from the Scriptures about why we can say that 
and never flinch as we say, saying the Son of God is tantamount to saying that He is God the Son. Let's go back again into the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 45. Just listen to what this says. Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? Who is that again? Yahweh. That's the sacred name of God. And there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a Savior. According to the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 45, there is only one God. Is there any other Savior besides Him? There's no other God besides me. There is no other Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God. There is no other. And then when we jump into the New Testament, again, we said this verse a minute ago, but we bring it back. There is salvation in no one else. Wait a minute, wait a minute. From Isaiah, didn't that say the same thing? There is salvation in no one else but God. For there is no other name given under heaven. Stop. Which name given under heaven? Who is our Savior? Yahweh, or God, given under men, given among men by which we must be saved. And to whom is Peter referring in this verse of Scripture? Who's he referring to? You can say it. Don't be afraid. This is, I don't need the Sunday school answer. He's referring to Jesus Christ. God will never allow His name to be shared with another. And from this we can know that when Peter was preaching about that name in which we must believe, the name of Jesus Christ, he was saying Jesus is God. Now, that is a mystery, I know that. 100% God, 100% man. But we don't try to necessarily explain the mystery. We just recognize that the Bible teaches it. Let's look at another one. That God alone is to be worshipped. We go back to the commandments in Exodus chapter 20. You shall have no other gods before me. It even heightens it in the language. You shall not make for yourself, and I'm just going to summarize here, any kind of an idol. Nothing that resembles anything in this creation. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He, he, kind of, he did it in the first one, but he really ups the ante. He is a jealous God. He is jealous of his name. He is jealous that he alone is to be worshipped. Fast forward to one of the post-resurrection appearances of Christ when he appeared to the disciples and there was a doubter among them. Any of you have problems with doubting? And Jesus came up to this doubter. His name was Thomas and he said, look, I want you to handle me. There's the humanity part. Put your finger here in my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not 
disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, I think you're a great man, Lord. Is that what he said? Oh, I, I think you were probably the greatest of all men. You were a great prophet. Is that what he said to him? I, I, I even think that you were so great a man that, that God automatically adopted you after you were born. But you were a great man who was adopted. No, he said these words to the God who is jealous for his glory and his alone, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet who have believed. And there are a lot of blessed people in this congregation today. You have never physically seen Jesus, but with the eyes of faith, he has been revealed to you. He is God. Let's go to the last one. He is our Lord. Now, I, I, I think that's significant. He, said, he says, the Apostles' Creed is very clear. Now, remember the Apostles' Creed is not the Bible. It expresses what the Bible expresses. But I think this is so significant. The Apostles' Creed does not want you to affirm, listen, that He is the Lord only. Are you tracking? It is important that you see that He is the Lord. By the way, if you're going to write something outside of that name or that particular title, Our Lord, just write the word Sovereign. He is our King. He is the one in absolute authority. The earliest confessions, they were in the Bible. Probably the earliest baptismal confession. I shared with you several weeks ago that the Apostles' Creed typically was used at the ordinance of baptism, that the candidate would be asked, do you affirm? They would say yes. In fact, way back then, they would baptize them three times. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty? Yes, they were dipped. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son? Yes, they were dipped. Do you believe in the Holy Ghost? And they were dipped for the third time. Probably the earliest creed was found in these two places, Romans 10 and 1 Corinthians 12. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that Look, I, I can go downtown and I can find a drunk on the street and say I'll pay you a hundred bucks to say Jesus is Lord. What Paul is talking about is no one can say truly from his heart, Jesus is, and how does the Apostles' Creed personalize it? Jesus is my Lord. What else are you going to believe about Jesus? Except that Jesus is Lord. C.S. Lewis, one of the favorite authors of a lot of people, said in Mere Christianity these words, and I think that they 
deserve another hearing today. Because we have a lot of people saying, oh, I respect Jesus Christ as a great ethical person. I, I respect him as a great moral, spiritual teacher. And C.S. Lewis challenged that thought. Listen to his words. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. They will say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any of that patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So let me ask you today, do you affirm, do you believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son? And do you believe not only that He is the Lord, I, I, I want you to personalize this, is He your Lord? I'm ta not talking about perfection. I'm talking about the, the truth of conversion. The truth of someone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that begins to take root. And you desire for Him to be the Lord of your life. And there be, may be days and weeks and months and even years where there's a pressing forward and there's a following back. I know all of that. That's the process of sanctification. But if you're here today and you have never in your heart of hearts had that desire that Jesus be your Lord, then you need desperately to go back and ask the question, Jesus, if you're not my Lord, are you really even my Savior. I read this last week of a church of another denomination. That wanted to do away in their service with anything that might be offensive. So, what did they do? God was not referred to as Him. Because that might be offensive. There were no references to the word Lord. Because that spoke of power imagery. And then the person said this, we do not pray as though we expect a big guy in the sky to come down and fix everything. And I read that, 
And I scratched my head and I thought, isn't that what we need? Isn't that the whole message of Christmas? That God came down to fix everything? To send His beloved Son to save us from our sins. And I appeal to you today, if you know Him, seek to grow in your understanding of Him so that you can be created more into the image of Christ if you don't know Him today. Trust in Christ. Not only to save you from your sin, but to prepare you for what is coming up later in the Apostles' Creed, the fact that Jesus is coming again to judge the quick, the living, and the dead. You don't want to meet Him without Jesus Christ as your mediator. Father, I thank You for the truth of Your Scripture expressed by those who lived very, very close to the actual time, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray now today that we would know Him not just as fully human, but as fully God, the God-man, who was your only Son who came to earth to be our Savior and to be our Lord. Father, I pray that we would respond to that all over this congregation. Everybody must do something with Jesus. Those of us who know Him, Lord, our heart is that we might grow in our affection to Him. For those who do not know Him today, I pray that today would be the day that they would turn away from sin, repent, and trust in Jesus Christ. So we thank you for what you're doing, and you will do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.